in heaven, it's our delight um, to, in one sense, have the word of God enacted for us, to see the gospel in this water of baptism, uh, to remind us that there is saving in Jesus. And now, Father, for this written word that you give to us, uh, I pray that we'll be attentive to it and that it will bless us in the deepest and richest sense of that word. Uh, Father, it's, it's, it's what you have given to us, this word, working by your spirit that saves, that transforms, that brings to faith, that brings grace to us. And so we expect all of that in these next moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn, please, to... Of the Old Testament book, Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3, please. Jonah chapter 3. Uh, this is the word of God. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hand. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he, had, that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now, we know the storyline of, of Jonah. We know what the events that took place. You remember that uh, God called Jonah to go to Nineveh uh, a while ago, called Jonah to go to Nineveh uh, to take this message, to speak against it. It was an, a great city, as he says here, but an evil city. Great city, and, and if you looked at its, its buildings, its towers and temples and, and walls and all of that, uh, great city, if you perceived its culture, it was a, a great city in the Assyrian Empire, perhaps the greatest, and, and yet... It was also known for its injustice and for, for the violence, ruthlessness that, in a sense, got it to the position uh, where, it, where it was uh, as kings of Assyria went out. They were ruthless in how they treated their enemies, skinning them alive, cutting off their hands and their feet and noses and plucking out eyes. And you can only imagine the injustice. The violence, and it was a city that sought self, selfishly, pleasure all the time. And so that's the sense of the city. It was a great city, a wicked city. And so God sends Jonah there to make this pronounced 
pronouncement against them. You remember Jonah ran. He didn't want to do that. And so he boarded a ship at Joppa to go to Tarshish, which is about as far away from Nineveh as you could go in the known world. And so, so that was the situation. God pursued him, however. And we see the pursuing of God as he, he, he whips up the wind and, and the great storm comes and the ship is about to sink and the sailors on the sick, uh, ship get, uh, get, 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 get afraid. And then uh, at that point, they, they cast lots. And so God enables the lots to point to Jonah that he's the problem. Jonah, you remember, is asked to pray. He wouldn't pray because to pray would mean he'd have to repent. And so he wouldn't pray to God. And so he'd rather die than pray. And so he says, cast me overboard and all will be well. He's cast overboard um, <clears throat> and the sea calms. The sailors are saved. At that point, All that we can say about Jonah is he's drowning and surely he's going to die. I mean, physically he should die because no one could survive that sea and live. Uh, And spiritually he should die. I mean, he deserved to die. He deserved the wrath of God against him because he was fleeing the presence of God. But you remember that God appointed a big fish to come and swallow him up. And Jonah finds himself alive. And at that point, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving because since he finds himself alive, he realizes, I didn't have anything to do with this. I should be dead. I didn't call this big fish to come and swallow me up. I didn't put on a deodorant that said, you know, bait uh, this morning that would kind of, was my my cologne. And so I, I, I was drowning literally and this fish came and swallowed me up and it was, it was the Lord. So he gives God thanks for um, rescuing him, even to the point of acknowledging that salvation belongs to the Lord and that this salvation and the grace of God is forfeited by way of idolatry, by not following after him. And and here he is. And so now he's been uh, shown that that God is God again and that, that, uh, that God is God again. He's been shown that God is God and this another time to be shown that. But that here he is, in the belly of this fish, alive. The, the fish vomits him out on the shore. And that's where we find Jonah now. And Jonah is called a second time. And he goes and he makes the pronouncement. Nineveh repents. God spares the city. And then in chapter 4, we have this very interesting time between God and Jonah that we'll get to in the next, next week, in the next week. And so we've been asking the question, what really is the message of Jonah? We know what the message of Jonah was to the people in Nineveh. What's the message of Jonah to us as well? And what we're seeing here is God at work in such a way that the message is the sovereign mercy, the sovereign grace of God. God's sovereign mercy. Sovereign meaning, it's God's choice. Remember when he announced his name to Moses, he said, I will be merciful upon whom I'll be merciful. I'll show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll show grace to whom I will show grace. In a sense, he's saying this is my choice upon whom to be merciful and whom to be gracious. So it's sovereign in that sense. It's sovereign in the sense that it isn't dependent, this grace, upon anything 
that we are or do. It's God. His mercy, His grace. But it's merciful because it's compassionate, the very compassion of God. It's gracious because it's undeserved. That we don't deserve what we get from Him. In fact, to say deserved grace, right, would be an oxymoron. That isn't, that those words can't go together like that. If the word grace is there, there can't be deserving grace in that sense. Grace is freely given. Grace is unmerited. And it's the unmerited favor of God, this, this grace to us. But we noticed in the life of Jonah that this great grace was not simply, not only undeserved, but it was relentless. That God pursued Jonah. Jonah ran. And God pursued him. He pursued him by way of the wind, by way of the storm, by way of the sailors, and by way of the, the, the sea, and by way of the fish. He pursued him. He wouldn't let Jonah get away, no matter how hard Jonah tried. I made mention a couple of weeks ago, I asked the question, so what's your big fish? Uh, many of us, not all of us, many of us might be able to say, I got a big fish. Yes, I was running from God as quickly and as hard as I could. And this big fish came. The gospel of our Lord Jesus came. And, and it came packaged. The gospel did it. It may have came packaged in a friend who came to you. It may have been a particular, a particular situation, an incident that brought you to your knees, that stopped you from... Running, it, it may have been your family, just into context of your of your upbringing. That was your big fish that God provided for you to help you to see the truth of the gospel. What, whatever that is, your church it could have been a sermon, could have been a, whatever. But but this grace of God is relentless, when God has our name, when He desires to show mercy and grace to us. He will. Because you see, that kind of mercy and grace also then becomes to us irresistible. It isn't that we don't resist grace, but God can overcome our resistance. God overcame Jonah's resistance. And here we find that Jonah is called a second time. And that may be one of the sweetest expressions in all the Bible. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I mean, I don't know about you, but I read that and I, I want to say, God, don't you know what you're doing? Don't you know who he is? The first time he blew it, the first time it came to him, he ran away. So why are you coming to him again? Why a second time? And sometimes we say, well, God is the God of second chances. And there's a sense in which that's true. There's a second sense in which we have to be careful with that. Because we think, oh, I just want a second chance. If you give me a second chance, I'll prove that I can really do it. You know, I'll prove that, that the last time really wasn't me. And, and so I can, it, it's not that kind of second chance. It's not that kind of do over so I can prove that I'm not as bad as, as what I pr- showed the last time. It, it isn't that at all. It's the grace of God. You know, many of us live in fear that we've so blown it in our lives 
so failed, so erred, so sinned, that while we may have once been on God's plan A for us, now we're like on plan triple Z. And there's no way that we could ever get back to the real plan that God had for our lives. But please hear this. In the mystery of the working of God's sovereign grace, Jonah's life is going, in that sense, exactly how it must go. I remember when I finally uh, had the sense to go off to seminary and go into the ministry. I was uh, old for seminarians, but young compared to what I am now uh, at 31. So that was what, seven years ago. Um, I remember um, sharing that information with my parents and talking to my mother particularly about that. And she said to me, oh, I knew that this was coming. And I said, I wish you would have told me that so I could have avoided the last 10 years of uh, floundering in various ways. And she said, no, 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 no. You had to go through that. Now, my mother has a certain sovereignty, but God even more so. It had to go through that. But even that, even the failure, the floundering, whatever else took place in those years, was necessary. That wasn't plan Z. Even though I felt like it was, even though I felt like there was no getting back, even though I felt like I had uh, the disaster had befallen my life and all of that. But, but still, you see, uh, it was still the plan of God. This is still the plan of God for Jonah. And so when God comes back to him the second time with the same command for obedience, he's saying, Jonah, all right. You really did sin the first time grievously. There isn't any any way, hardly, you could have disobeyed me more than what you did. So my relentless grace kept you from, from disaster, utter disaster. And so now I'm bringing you back. And now for the second time, I'm going to give you this command. Because you see, God really does forgive. And God really doesn't hold Grudges. Now, that's so hard for us. Because we find forgiveness so hard. And we find not holding a grudge at times almost impossible. You know this. I mean, don't you have a court in your head? We all do. And it's a court. And we hold court against all those people that uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, we don't like at the moment, or are disappointing us, or a problem for us at the moment. And don't you know, we always win. I've never lost in the court of my mind. They're always wrong. And they always know it at the end. It's wonderful. You know what Jesus had to tell us to forgive 70 times 7? Because he said, that's what God does. 
You repent, he forgives. You repent, he forgives. I mean, that's the nature of it, you see. And so, so, so God says to Jonah, and I don't know how Jonah heard it. I don't know. Still, we don't know. Chapter 4 makes us wonder how excited Jonah was to really go to Nineveh in the first, even in the second place. But again, it comes to him. And he says, Jonah, I've relentlessly pursued you. So the good news of the gospel and what we can know ourselves and what we can share with our children, what we can share with our friends and share with the world in which we live, is that God continues to call. And that God continues, especially in the lives of believers, to put us back on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So when we've blown it in a relationship or blown it in our marriages or blown it with our children or blown it with our parents or sinned so grievously in the context of our lives and we wonder, is there any getting back? And the answer is yes, there is restoration. You see, the grace of God is not only undeserving, undeserved, it's not only relentless, it's not only irresistible, but it's restorative, it restores us. And that's what's happening here. He's restoring back into his presence. Back what we would call his good graces. (laughs) His favor. Jonah. And you think, could there ever have been anybody who's blown it more than Jonah? Uh, Abraham. I mean, the father of the faith. I mean, Abraham, look what he did. God came to him and said, great promises. You're going to be a, the, the father of many nations. And, 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 and out of your seed will come one that will bless all the nations, all the families of the earth. And, and, and Abraham looked around and he looked at his wife, Sarah. And he says, I don't think this is going to work. You know, I don't think we're going to have any children. You're old. I'm old. You're barren. And, and so she said, well, I have a better plan. Here's my maidservant, Hagar. Take her. This will work. And you're reading that, and if you've read the rest of the story, you go, no, 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 Abraham. Every time I read that, I say, Abraham, don't do this. Right? And so what happens after Ishmael is born and and all the disturbance that God comes again to Abraham and to Sarah. And he says, you're going to have a child. I, I need to make that clear. And they do. Or Moses. I mean, what better position for a Hebrew to be in, to be used by God to free his people, than to be in the Pharaoh's household? I mean, that's not, you know, you read the story of Moses, you go, this is great. Uh, all the other little Hebrew boys are being killed, but Moses, that isn't great, but, but Moses isn't killed, and, and he's put in this little basket, and who finds him but Pharaoh's daughter, and he's raised in the house of Pharaoh. He's going to grow up and have a great position politically, and, and he's going to, and one of these days, don't you know, Moses is going to pass a law or do something that's going to free the Israelites, or at least make their life easier. So then what does he do? He kills an Egyptian. And he has to flee for his life. And you go, rats. This is never going to work, Moses. Until there's a burning bush. And God says, Moses, I'm going to take you back there. We're going to start again. But this time, I'm with you. And it'll work. Our dear brother, Peter, Jesus is about to die for him. And he can't even say, I know him. 
And you think, Peter, this, you've lost it all. And then Jesus, after he's resurrected, comes to Peter and says, feed my sheep. You see, everybody has blown it. <laughs> the big guys in the Bible. You see, there aren't any big guys in the Bible. Francis Schaeffer has a nice little article called The Little People. The small people, little people, we're all little people. You see, there aren't any big people in this whole gospel thing. The only big one is Jesus. And so, so here he is, uh, Jonah back, back there again. And if you can only picture the scene, it's such a marvelous scene. Because here's this huge city for the day. It's a huge city. Three days journey, it's a, it's a difficult thing. You can read commentators on what exactly that means. Hard thing to translate. But if it just means a three-day journey across. The people who walk, uh, they say a person can walk 15 to 17 miles in a day. But if you look at that and multiply it by three, that's a, that's a great expanse, 50 miles. That's a big city. And here's little Jonah. I have no idea what he looked like after being in a fish for three days. And here he is. And his task is to go into this city where military leaders would as soon skin you or burn you to death or pluck out your eyes or cut off your nose than say hi to you. They've perceived you to be an enemy. And here's Jonah. He's going to preach a five-word sermon in Hebrew, a few more in English. And basically he's going to bring the wonderful news that in 40 days God... Is going to destroy your city. Just picture that in your mind for a minute. Jonah? <laughs> Huge, well populated city. How's this going to work? Why wouldn't they mock him? Why wouldn't they say, You and who else, Jonah? You're God? Who is he? We, we don't even see him. And, and you expect us to, 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 to fall at, at your, your feet and all of that? Or, or why wouldn't they just kill him or, 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 or torture him? And there he is in the middle of all that. But when he pronounces this word, something amazing happens. Look, verse. Verse 4, And Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overturned. And the people of Nineveh believed God. It doesn't say they believed Jonah. Now, there's a sense in which they did, of course. But they believe the message of Jonah. They believe the message of Jonah was about and from God. And so they believed God. And, and you want to say, how did that happen? How did they believe God? I mean, many of us have friends. Some of us have children. Some of us have spouses. Some of us have neighbors. Some of us have uh, people we work with, go to school with. Um, we look at the world in which we live. And our cry is that they believe God. Now, that's really the, the cry of it. How did they in Nineveh, very unlikely city, I mean, if this had been Jerusalem, you'd go, or Bethlehem, you'd go, of course they believe God. But, but, but this, is, this is this pagan, corrupt city. I think of this when Paul writes, the New Testament to the church in Thessalonica. He writes to them about how the word of God came to them. And this is what he says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 13. 
And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God, which is at work in you believers. So, so Paul said he had that same experience, if you will, that Jonah had. And we read it throughout the, the scripture that, that, that when the word comes, that it comes and people believe that it's the word of God. And, and the reason they believed it was the word of God, he already introduced in chapter 1, verse 4. He said, we know brothers loved by God, that he that is God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, he said, when this word came to you by God's sovereign grace, it came by God's sovereign grace first because Paul was there speaking it. He could have been somewhere else, but he wasn't. He was there. And secondly, by God's sovereign grace, when they heard it, they said, this is from God. It came with power and in the Holy Spirit, with full conviction. In other words, the Holy Spirit worked through this word in such a way that it, it had full effect on them. You know how the author of Hebrews puts it in, in Hebrews and, uh, and chapter 4, that the word of God is alive, you see. He writes this, the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Uh, and no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. When this word comes, it comes. When it comes with power in the Holy Spirit, it, it digs deep, you see. And it goes right to the heart of us. And the end result, you see, is it exposes to us sin and unbelief and brings to us by the grace of God truth to fill us this is it this is the word of God it's the work of the Holy Spirit you see believing that the word is the word of God is more than simply an intellectual problem now, I believe there are good, good reasons for believing that this book is the word of God and all of that. You can cite external evidence of manuscripts and so forth and so on. You can see its internal consistency and so forth and so on. But the truth of the matter is, all of that taken together, no matter how convincing it might be, can't get over that which keeps us from believing it's the word of God, which is our sin. There's this nature, this inclination that we have within us, that we're born with, that, 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 that says no to God and no to his voice. We sang that song earlier, teach me the sound of your voice. Now, I hope when you sang that, you weren't thinking, you know, that God has a particular voice that you can hear audibly. Teach us that when I, lit, when I read the scripture, that I know this is from you. That I know this is your word. You see. I used to, with our children, I would say, you know how you hear God speak? And they say, how? And I go, like this. You know what I mean? And they go, dad, you know. Um, 
Because that's the sense of it. When we hear the word, we hear the voice of God. We hear God speak. That's what we're praying for. And then teaches to give us the faith to obey, you see, the, the, to really believe it. And, and so that's what happened in Nineveh. And so, so that's why as a church, we say, I say for years, that our ministry rises and falls on the power of God's word, working by his spirit to change people's lives. And if that doesn't work, we're sunk. That's all we have. (laughs) But it's the word of God. And so it's all we need. And we trust that God, working by his sovereign will and grace, that by the power of the spirit, he takes it and applies it. And you may say, well, well, that makes it feel like we're rather helpless. Yes, it does. Because we are. But it makes us hopeful. Because his word really is powerful. And he really is gracious and merciful. And so we trust him. Can't convince anybody, we can only declare it and trust that the Spirit will attend as He wills, when He wills, to convince. On that day in Nineveh, He did, and so it brought them to repentance. That's what happens. It brought them, brings first to faith, they believe God, and then brings to repentance. And we can see that repentance because, because they, they fasted. And this wasn't to impress God. This wasn't to say, well, we better kind of, you know, take a couple of days away from our sin and, and we better, you know, kind of, kind of look religious for a while because you can't con God. Right? You can con one another. You can make it, but you can't con God. So, so, so that wasn't it at all. When it to fast is declared like this, what it means is we recognize our sin and, and, and nothing is more important at the moment than calling out to God. We don't even have time to eat. I mean, who can think about eating at a time like this? Who can think about eating when it's really true that the God of, of all creation is going to come and destroy us in 40 days? I mean, I just lost my appetite. I, 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 I can't, you know, I, I don't care at that moment in time how the royals are doing, right? Or, or what's, you know, on at the movies or, or any. The only thing that matters at the moment is what about this destruction that's coming upon us when the tornado sirens go off? You don't think, oh, I'm going to go have a sandwich and think about this for a while. You, know, you fast at the moment. It could be a deliberate thing or it could be a instinctive thing but you're going to fast you put on they put on sackcloth they said we don't deserve to be comfortable in in, in clothing that has, has has nice cloth and feels good against our skin and and enables us to be comfortable uh we're we're going to put on sackcloth that 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 really reflects what's going on inside because sackcloth is that it's the cloth that sacks are made out of and it's very rough and, and, and only the poor people would wear it and only the down and out people would wear it. Only the hopeless people, if you would, would wear it. And so they did that. And then the king even, even, even did it because it was from the least to the greatest because you see, there, there isn't any distinction. All of sin, God isn't impressed at all with our status. So even the king 
understood. The king who ate the riches of food ate none. The king who wore the the softest of clothing uh, wore sackcloth because he knew it too. And he said, even the animals, we don't even have time for them. If we're going to be destroyed, why should we waste time on animals? Use your time to cry out to God. And maybe, maybe he'll relent. Now, why they thought that, I don't know. Other than perhaps they had heard something about the mercy of God. Other than perhaps they heard a little of Jonah's story. What happened to you? Oh, that was merciful. You ran? Oh. Like Jesus even said, Jonah's the sign to Nineveh. Maybe just, just in his walking around. We don't know any of that. But, but there's a sense in which they, they perceived that, that with this warning came this promise. And we read a few weeks ago from the prophet, prophet Jeremiah that Jeremiah says, Anytime God says to a people that I will destroy you for your lack of obedience, for your unholiness, that if you repent, I'll forgive. And so here... God, indeed, forgave the prophets. Isaiah puts the grace of God like this. Chapter 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And our God. For he will abundantly pardon. You see, what we'll see is that Jonah was becoming the message. He doesn't quite get it yet. But he was becoming the message. You and I are becoming the message. The message of the grace of God. Oh, we are that. And daily, weekly, yearly, becoming it even more. A day will come when we'll realize that it really is the grace of God. Oh, I knew that 30 years ago. I knew it 20 years ago. I knew it yesterday. I suspect I'll know it better today. And you see, this repentance frees us. See, the great thing about repentance is, is, is it freed them from, from, from their sin. It gave forgiveness, but also repentance uh, has with it the fact that they will turn, he said, the king. Let everyone call out to God and let everyone turn from his evil way and the violence that is in his hands. You see, this repentance, when you come to this point of believing God, you realize the problem is sin. And the word of God unmasks that sin. And says, this sin, though it seemed pleasurable and seemed right, that sin will kill you. It's designed to kill you. Running from God is designed to kill you. Lust is designed to kill you. Lying is designed to kill you. Slander is designed to kill you. Hatred is designed to kill you. Bitterness is designed to to kill you. Unforgiveness is designed to kill you. Unfaithfulness in relationships is designed to kill you. You may, it may feel good at the moment. But it's desi- once you realize it's designed to kill you, then why would you not turn away from it? By the way, I know why. 
same reason I don't. I'm learning too. But we see it. Repentance. That's why when Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel Church, his first thesis was to this effect, when a when God calls a man to follow his, uh, the Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, in essence, he calls him to a life of repentance. This continual believing God, seeing our own sin, making confession, turning away. Believing God, because we've heard his word, making confession, turning away from sin. Turning to God. Sense in which Luther began the Reformation with that thesis, really. You know, when Luther died, he found a note in his pocket. And the note in his pocket was very much like that first, that first thesis that he put up. The note in his pocket had at the very end written, We are all beggars. This is true. That's it, isn't it? We're all holding out our cup for mercy. Remember the blind man that that, that, that was following Jesus around. Uh, He he, he was begging and he was begging from the people, but he he heard that Jesus was coming. And and so he simply said of him, said of him, son of David, have mercy on me. That's the sense in which is our posture all the time. That's our repentance. Our acknowledgement that we need the mercy of God. And the grace of God. The task is bigger than we could ever imagine. We need his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Father, pray for me, for us. That you would grant this grace to us. We simply stand before you and plead for your mercy. We're thankful that when we do plead for mercy in the name of Jesus that you are merciful and we plead for grace in the name of Jesus you are gracious uh, because we know that Jesus is the very mercy and grace manifested among us and so we're grateful for him. We know that he is the good shepherd he is the good Samaritan he is the one who comes by his spirit forgive, to empower. So we pray even in this community, in the world in which we live, that you will enable us to speak that message of the grace of Jesus. Father, on this day, it's a special day for many who graduate from the university, and so we pray for them. Students, many have been with us for years, and and we pray for them that you bless them on this day, that this will be a great day for them and their families, and And Father, that they would know uh, that you've been with them and that they would be thankful to you. And and Father, that they would really know that you will continue to be with them as they leave this place, this place they've been, and 
Perhaps go to a, a new place. New experiences awaiting. That you will be with him. They can see this even as a new beginning for them. That they may continue to live in such a way that is dependent upon you. For our high schoolers that will be graduating as well, we pray for them that, that they too, as they go off into new things, that you'll be with them and bless them and keep them. And that they will give thanks. For those suffering, I pray for our dear Melissa Foster as she's recovering from this massive surgery she had. And I pray that you would grant grace to her and heal her. For Lorraine Canistra too, as you would heal her, Father, of these kidney issues. And for others, Father, that are suffering in this day, bless them. Be with us, God. May we, may we know that you forgive, that you restore. And this I pray in Jesus' name.